0: Now, just to be clear, um, I am not a runner, right? We're gonna be using a lot of running analogies, marathon analogies. I've never done a marathon. Like, I have to train for months to do a 5K, right? Like, some of you, you could wake up in the morning and go run six miles, not even get winded. Like, I'm not in that category. My family genetics are peasants. Give me a plow in a field and I can own it. Give me a a road and to run it, and I'm done, right? So even with that, all right? So that's my experience on running. And if that's your experience too, welcome aboard. Um, But even if that is your experience, I think you could answer this question uh, correctly. And the question is this. If you were gonna run a marathon, which pair of shoes would you like to run a marathon in? All right, would you like to run a pair of uh, marathon in these shoes? Now, these shoes are uh, by Reebok. They are, according to a July 12th article in Runner's World, which I found online, I don't subscribe, you're welcome to, I don't. These shoes are weigh in at 6.9 ounces for the men, for both of them, not each, 6.9 inches and 5.6 for the women's shoes. How that's even possible, I don't know. But that's one pair of shoes. Or would you rather run in this pair of shoes? Now, they look a little goofy. I'm gonna gonna admit admit that to you. But in, in 2010 in London, these pair of shoes broke a world record as the heaviest pair of shoes that a person walked 10 meters in. They weighed in at 323 pounds. Right? Mr. Furman, because I can't pronounce his first name. Um, So, Mr. Furman uh, did that to break the world record. Imagine running a marathon in those things 323 pounds of shoes. He walked 10 meters. Imagine running a marathon. So, the question is which shoes would you rather run in? The lightweight shoes? or the 323-pound shoes. I think we would all agree, if we were going to run a marathon, which ones would we run in? The lightweight shoes, right? Today, we're going to see how this applies to our passage. And here's where we're gonna be. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. So keep that image of light shoes and heavy shoes, Uh, light shoes and the 323-pound shoes uh, in your mind. And we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. That's page 848, if you're using the Bible that's in front of you, which if you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. We would love for you to have a Bible in your home or... If you have a smartphone, you can just download the Bible app and go under events and click on Fellowship Asheville, and all of our stuff is there. And as we're going through Hebrews, we're getting close to the end now. We're in a series called Greater Than, where we're seeing that Jesus is greater than, and he's greater than all these different things in our life that we we deal with and that we battle with. And we see that he's greater than our ups and our downs, greater than our fears and our doubts, greater than our failures, and even greater than our successes. And today we're going to see how this journey of faith that we're on, no matter where you are on the spectrum, on this journey of faith, whether you have said yes to Jesus and he is your savior and he is your Lord, or if you're here because somebody drug you here, no matter where you are on this faith journey, it is a journey. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And what we're going to see today as we see this marathon of faith is because this truth makes that marathon of faith a whole lot better, and it's this. The lighter we are, the better we run. Right? On this journey of faith, this marathon of faith that we're on, the lighter we are, the better we run the race that God has set out for us. But... What we're also gonna see as we work our way through this passage is that even though we want these lightweight shoes, each of us has these 323-pound shoes that we lug around with us. And everybody's shoe is different. Maybe yours isn't 323 pounds, but maybe it's 150 pounds. But you still try running a marathon in that joker and you're gonna get tired, right? Right? And this is what we're gonna see because what we're gonna see is that there is a way to run lighter and there is a way to leave those shoes behind because we're gonna see this, that Jesus is greater than our shame. Now, what we're gonna see is that those shoes, those lightweight shoes and those 323-pound shoes, those shoes aren't shame but they're held to our feet by shame. And when Jesus is greater than our shame, our run is lighter. Now, shame is this feeling, right? And shame is a feeling of of regret. Shame is is a feeling of humiliation that comes by the thoughts that we think, by the decisions that we make, by the actions that we do, And we look back on those and we have shame about them. And shame is what ties those 323-pound shoes to us. But we're going to see a better way, church. We're going to see a way to run this marathon of faith where we're not weighed down by those 323-pound shoes, but, but we've got shoes on our feet that are those six ounces of shoes. And we can run this race of faith better. Let's look at verse one. So chapter 12, verse one says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, these verses, verses one and two, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you are breathing a sigh of relief because these are your favorite verses. We're not talking about the high priest anymore. We're not talking about people in the Old Testament whose names we can't pronounce and whose stories you don't know. These are the verses that you've been waiting for. These are the verses I've been waiting for to get to Hebrews. They're the verses that people know. And, and, and this verse about this cloud of witnesses, you know, this preacher, because remember, Hebrews is a sermon that was preached, and we don't know who preached it, uh, we don't know who wrote it down, but we know it was preached to a group of Hebrews that grew up in Jewish homes that believed that Jesus is the Messiah, and what he did in chapter 11, the chapter right before this, is he went through this list called, a, some people call it a hall of faith instead of a hall of fame because it's, it's, it's people from the Old Testament who exercised great faith. And through their faith, they, they had these brave and righteous acts. But every single person listed on there isn't listed because of their bravery. They're listed because of their faith. Because no matter who they were, God asked them to do something big. At least in their minds, it was big. And, and for some people, it was bigger than others. But everything required faith. And, and this makes up this cloud of witnesses that this preacher is calling our attention to. And, and this cloud of witnesses, some people think that, that this, these folks in chapter 11 that exercise great faith, that they're, they're sitting in the grandstands as we're running this race set before us and they're there to, to cheer us on. And that's a great picture but, because it fits with the analogy of running and stuff, but I don't think that's what the preacher had in his mind. Because they're not there watching our faith. He wrote their stories down so that we can watch their faith. They're, they're not witnesses in a stand watching us. They're more like witnesses in a courtroom, right, that that have declared that something is true. When you go to a courtroom and, and a, an attorney calls a witness He calls a witness to to help his case. And what that witness does is they, 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 they take an oath to tell the truth and they get behind the stand and they say, this thing that I'm about to say is true, not just because I believe it, not just because I feel it, but because I saw it with my own eyes. That's why it's true. I witnessed this with my own eyes. And so you can believe me because I saw it. And so when this preacher says that we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by a group of people in the Old Testament, and then you can add more names to, to, to our world, to our times, and this cloud has grown and grown and grown. And they're not there to, to just cheer us on. They're there to tell us something. They're there to tell us this that God is faithful. F.F. Bruce, who uh, was this commentator in the Bible, which means he understood the Bible a whole lot better than I do, and he said this about this passage, about this cloud of witnesses. He says, says, it's not so much that, that they look to us as we look to them for encouragement. You see, from their witness of God's faithfulness, we build up our faith. And it's kind of what this whole series has been based on that Jesus is greater than. And so so, so when we doubt, they tell us God is faithful because we doubted too. And we walked in faith and he proved himself faithful. When we're fearful, they say, God is faithful because I was fearful and God proved himself faithful. When we're insecure, they say God is faithful. I was insecure, and God proved himself faithful. Trust him. When we don't know what to do, and we feel like we've come to a dead-end road, they're there saying God is faithful. I was at a dead-end road, and he proved himself faithful. When we're tired, and just flat out exhausted. They're there to tell us God is faithful. I was exhausted and he proved himself faithful. That's what this cloud of witnesses does. And here's why we need that cloud of witnesses because we're running a race. We're running a marathon. And in that marathon, you're gonna doubt and you're gonna fear and you're gonna be insecure. and You're not gonna know what to do. And you need people reminding you that God is faithful. And so here's why we need to know that God is faithful. Look at the next part in verse one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now remember, we're, we're all running this marathon and, and we want to run in these light shoes, but we've got these heavy shoes on. And, and, and what this preacher is saying, is like, listen, those shoes, eventually you're gonna have to lay them aside. You're gonna have to put them, put them down. That's what lay aside means. And every weight is an interesting word because it's a word that has two meanings. If, if you were back in, in ancient days, think of Greek and Roman times and togas and, and, and cloaks that they wore before they ran they would take those things off, right? Because imagine uh, running in a skirt. You know, imagine running in a coat. If you take those things off, you're more free to run. That's a part of what weight means. The other part of what weight means is that to run better and to run lighter, some of us have to lose about 30 pounds. Thank you for the laughter. I I mean, it's true, but it's supposed to be a joke. But that's the point, right? This pastor is saying, listen, some of you, the stuff you've got to lay down is going to be as easy as taking off your coat and putting it on the rack. But some of you, the stuff you've got to lay down is going to be like losing 30 pounds. It's going to take work and it's going to take discipline. And what you're laying down is this sin that is clinging to you. And the word used for sin, he's talking to a congregation, but he's not saying there's one sin that's common among everybody. He's not saying, "Listen, y'all are gossips and you need to stop." He's like being Oprah and saying, "You've got a sin and you've got a sin and you've got a sin, and you've got a sin." And all the sins are different. right? And he's saying, your sin is going to be easy to take off, and, and your sin is going to be easy to take off. And your sin, eh, that's going to be a little harder. You just got some double knots and to lace up a lot. It's going to, I'm trying not to look and point at anybody in particular, by the way. But the Spirit's convicting. Go with it. Right? But that's what he's saying is, is, is we've all got these shoes that we wear. And some of them are pretty lightweight, and some of them are very heavyweight and are laced up and, and have double knots and they look like those wrestling shoes that go up to your knees, you know, like like some of them are gonna take some time, and each one of you has got different ones, and maybe you've got different ones on different feet, but but the goal is you've got to lay them aside. Some sins, like I said, are easy to take off. When I became a Christian, um, it was my senior year in college and I was president of my fraternity. Now, part of the job description, apparently as the president of a fraternity is partying because I nailed that part of the job description really well. And when I became a Christian, I was in a small group. I was in a circle. It was a Navigators 2-7. And y'all, I think I've shared this before, like the leader of that group, for those of you who are leaders of a group, you have never led a group like this. Right, Because me and my best friend signed all of our party buddies up for this Bible study. And we met on Thursday night, and the the group started at 7, and would be over by 9.30, which we thought was great, because we didn't go out until Thursdays at 10 anyway. So we could go Bible study, and then go to to the party, and be fine. (sighs) Tony and and Shannon were their names, and I still pray for Tony. Shannon, I've lost touch with, but I still pray for Tony, because I feel guilty for what we took him through for a year. But he's the one that sat down with me and said, Fred, man, you you know, you just recently said yes to Jesus and accepted him in your life. And it's kind of weird that you're partying a lot. Like you come to church sometimes and I can still smell the alcohol on you from the night before. And he said, that kind of gives a weird what we call testimony about Jesus. That you're going to party with people on Saturday night and And talk about how Jesus has changed your life and he really hasn't changed your life. So what if you let what's on the inside kind of come out on the outside and maybe stop drinking? And I went, okay. I didn't know. Thanks for telling me. And I, I took that off like a cloak. That doesn't happen for everybody. And I stopped drinking for a long time and I haven't been drunk since. That was a cloak for me. But I do have those heavier weights, that 30 pounds to lose. And what I've learned in my life, and maybe this is true in your life too, those, those sins of action are easier to get rid of than kind of what I call the sin behind the sin. Like cussing, that was another thing he told me. He's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird in Bible study to use the F word. And I know what you're meaning, but, but what if we kind of stopped? Oh, okay, I didn't know. And then you start using the Christian substitutes, and those are okay. You know? But what I've learned, see, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, my mom never cussed, but she said the S word really elongated, and that was okay, which was interesting. um. um but what I've learned is, is that it's easy to stop the action. It's harder to figure out the sin behind it. Because that's the question I've had to ask is why, why was that word important then? Is it because I was feeling powerless and I wanted to be powerful? Is it because I was feeling insecure and I wanted to fit in? In my life, the sin behind the sin oftentimes is people-pleasing right, where people are big and God is small. And that's the sin that takes longer to get rid of for me. And it's still there. It still rears its head where where people are big and God is small. And I have to ask myself, why am I willing to to let God be small in this moment and let them be big and their words in my head ring louder than the truths of Scripture? That's the sin behind the sin for me. And those I have to lay aside. And so look at your life right now. What what shoes of sin do you have on which need to be taken off? And maybe some of them are quick and easy and they're action sins and you just need to stop. And you know what it is. You just need to stop. But maybe some of those sins are those 323 pound shoes that, that are laced up and double knotted and tied all the way up to the knees. What we're gonna see is a way to make it possible to take them off. But first, we need to remember why we wanna do this. It says, and let us run with endurance. Remember, we're running this race and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Sprints don't take endurance. Marathons take endurance. Sprints just take speed. It says, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. And what this means this picture that the Hebrew pastor used here is this race set before us it means that someone has come to a, a wooded area and completely leveled it and cleaned it out so that there is a track that wasn't there before. And that God has done that for you and he has made a track for you to run on. And this and this track for you to run on is, is, is different than the person sitting next to you, although there's some overlapping. That's where the church is. The, the church is where we all come together and run this track, but, but your track goes this way and, and this person's track goes that way and all those tracks God has laid out for you. And all of them take endurance to run. And see, this would be a great place if I was a manipulative, guilt-ridden and wanted you to be the same way kind of person because this is a great place where I could stop and go, listen, guys, the finish line, the, 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 the tracks that all merge are right under those tents out there, so go volunteer, Right, and that's how you know what God has for you. And and that's how you can live this life of freedom is by pouring yourself out for others. But the problem is that doesn't work. Because if I told you to go do something, here's what I know would happen. Because I'm just like you. If somebody told me what to go do, I would go do it. But the problem is that doesn't work. You may feel better for a little bit, but in the long run, those shoes would still be there. And here's why. Because if the shoes that we're talking about are the sin that so easily entangles our life, the laces that tie those shoes on are shame. That's the shoelaces that ties those shoes on. And here's the deal with shame, that feeling, that feeling of regret, that feeling of humiliation over decisions we've made, over, over actions we've taken, over thoughts that we've thought, that shame, that shame can never be removed by effort. You can't work shame away. If I told you to go out there and sign up, which by the way, I do still want you to go out there and sign up, but if I told you to do that to remove shame, it wouldn't work because that's an effort. And shame can't be removed by effort. The only thing that removes shame is truth. Truth about you and truth about what Jesus has done and truth about how God sees you because of what Jesus has done, which is why this truth is important, that Jesus is greater than my shame. That's the truth. And no effort can replicate that. And look at this. Look at how we run this race in verse two. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's what this means. This track that God has set for you, this track that God has prepared, you are not running it alone. You never have and you never will. You have somebody running it alongside of you and the person that's running alongside of you to encourage you, to, to motivate you, to empower you is the same one who started the track and the same one who finished it Perfectly. The the New York Marathon started in 1970 by a guy named Fred Lebo, right? There's very few Freds in the world, and so it's important that we know each other, right? And here's what I know about Fred Lebo. Fred Lebo started the New York Marathon in 1970, and he was the one who founded it. And he knew it better than anybody else because he's the one that petitioned the, 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 the city of New York to block off streets. He's the one that, that decided where the tables for hydration was going to go. He mapped out the course. He knew that course better than anybody because he founded it. Jesus knows the path that he's laid out for you better than anybody because he founded it. And the path that he's on was he founded. Like some people say, you You know, God had eaten and then we messed it up and so Jesus fixed it. God's plan A has always been Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. Now, Fred Lebo also ran in the first New York City Marathon. There were 55 people that competed. Do you know what place Fred Lebo finished in? 45th, right? He founded it, but he didn't finish it perfectly. This preacher wants us to know that the person who who mapped out the course for us, the person who runs beside us, that person finished the race perfectly. And see, we've got this, this cloud of witnesses and they're telling us that God is faithful. But what this preacher is saying is we've got something better than a cloud of witnesses. We've got Jesus running with us. And when we look to Jesus, we see a faithful God. And so the preacher's point is this. What would you rather have? People telling you that God is faithful or having a faithful God running with you? That's lighter shoes. You see, Jesus is the one who finished this race perfectly. And in him, our faith is complete because he is the complete source of our faith. And here's why this is important. If you think that coming to church and, and, and doing the good thing and not doing the bad thing is what earns you favor with God and what makes God like you and love you, those are shoes that are still laced up with shame. Because you know what? You're gonna do the bad thing. And you're gonna feel guilt and remorse and humiliation about it. And you can't do enough good stuff to get rid of that. That's why we need Jesus. Because he is the one who ran the race, who organized the race, and who finished it perfectly and is running beside us. And saying yes to Jesus and no to your own effort to get rid of that shame, to get rid of that guilt, that is the way this race is run. That's the marathon that we're on. And this is what it looked like for him. And and this is what we get to experience too, because now the, the preacher is going to turn from us running the race to Jesus's race and give us a glimpse of what his race did for us. Look at the rest of verse two. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus took on shame. Now, now, you, you, you've, you've, I don't know if you know this or not about the crucifixion, but, but when Jesus was crucified, it was a very common way uh, that Rome executed criminals. And, and it was all about power. Right? Because they wanted to display that they had the power not only to catch the criminal, but to humiliate them. And that's the death that Jesus died. So not only was he nailed to a cross, right? as if that's not humiliation enough, there was shame because they stripped him naked and hung him by the side of the road. So it is like imagine a guy standing naked on the side of the, on the corner here as everybody's trying to go to the back way to Target right? That's where Jesus was. Stripped, beaten, and nailed to a cross. He took on humiliation and shame so that we don't have to bear it anymore. He took on our shame. You see, he endured the cross knowing joy was coming. And because he did, this is what happens. That those shoelaces of shame, no longer hold those shoes of sin to our feet. Because of what Jesus did, and those shoes of sin, those 323-pound shoes, those laces that hold them up are no longer there because those laces of shame have been done away with. That's right. And listen to this. I think the joy that Jesus saw wasn't his freedom, Like, he wasn't looking at his own story of being able to be uh, in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, that his job was finished. I think the joy that he saw was us, was people who have said yes to him. Because the joy that he saw is that the shame that he endured on the cross would no longer be ours. And that we would experience freedom because of that. That removed shame is true freedom. And that joy is what kept him to the cross. That joy, that joy was experienced in the resurrection. You see, he knew that his sacrifice and him taking on our shame was the only way for freedom for us. And he knew that by removing those shoelaces of, of shame, that we could walk out of the sin that so quickly clings to us. Now, let me ask you, have y'all ever tried to walk in shoes that don't have shoelaces? If you've been in prison overnight, you have. It's a different story for a different sermon. (laughs) Not kidding. But what happens is those shoes don't stay on very well. Right? Because that's not the way they're designed. You see, sin holds tightly when shame is present. And when shame is gone, that sin has a harder time hanging on. And I love this too at the last verse that, that Jesus is seated, seated at, the, at the right hand of the throne of God. His work is done. There's nothing else to do. And so now the question is for you. What do you do with the shoes of sin that you have on? What do you do when shame has tied those shoes to your feet? Well, you do, you do this. You remember a few things. One, you keep in mind that shame loves to keep secrets. Right? Shame loves to keep secrets. Shame wants to keep those shoes that you have just between you and nobody else. But y'all, in Jesus, there's no shame in your shoes. There's no shame in how heavy they are. There's no shame in what they look like and how ugly they are. And There's no shame. There's no shame holding them onto you. You see, no shame means that you can tell. You can tell someone what that shoe is. You don't have to keep the secret anymore. And we've got a prayer team in the back that would love uh, to hear about you. You've got growth group leaders and, and people that lead your circle that would love to hear about you. And let me tell you something that you will never ever hear at Fellowship Asheville. And we all gotta agree on this. Right, you will never hear anybody say, I can't believe you did that. You will never hear anybody say, I can't believe that's what your shoe looks like. Because at fellowship we say you can be anything except a liar. Because shame keeps secrets. And we have a savior who said he is light. And light Dispels secrets. So you won't hear, I can't believe you did that. You will hear, God loves you. And he is faithful to sustain you. You can let this go. Because another thing that shame likes to do is shame likes to hold on. And y'all, shame holds on to the most ridiculous things. Shame holds on to power when Jesus showed us that his way was to embrace powerlessness. Shame holds on to position when Jesus showed that his way was to wash his disciples' feet and to serve others. You see, y'all remember these these laces of, of, of shame are gone and you can lay aside those shoes of sin. And eventually you will. One day you will leave those shoes behind. And you will experience true freedom when you enter heaven. Why not get a taste of it now? And experience life without those shoes of sin that you have held on to for way too long. So, if you want to talk about your shoes, we've got people in the back. Or you can come find me. Or you can grab your growth group leader. Do you want to lay down those shoes for good today? As you've been sitting here, as the spirit, this voice in your head kept telling you this is what Fred's talking about, this thing, this relationship, this ongoing habit that needs to stop. Is today the day that you say no to it? And experience this run of faith in the lightest shoes possible. Let's pray.